Hi, this is Santosh Kumar, your host for Run Yogi Diaries, Pondering While Wandering. In this show, I want to bring you stories of ordinary people with extraordinary journeys. For most parts, this will be oriented around running, endurance sports, ultra hiking, ultra bicycling, triathlons, but we will cover a wide variety of topics. So let's see who's on the show today. To today's show, episode number three on Run Yogi Diaries, Pondering While Wandering. I have a very exciting guest this afternoon. Uh, he's a friend of mine for over uh, close to three decades. Yeah, we are that old. Okay, okay, don't judge us for that, okay? Um, and uh, he is in our friend circle, we call him the energy bunny. And the, uh, the joke is that I think when he was born, he fell into a pail of steroids and the energy just hasn't dissipated. He is a, um, a ardent ultra cyclist, uh, a uh, passionate photographer, a great human being. And I want to welcome to the show Sriram Vardarajan. Sriram. Hey. All right. Can you see me? Yes. Good day. Thanks for having me on the show, Santosh. Yeah, welcome to, uh, to the show. It's great having you here. Uh, you have a lot to offer. Uh, you've been up to some terrific journeys in your life of different kinds, especially on the saddle. And uh, so uh, we're going to talk about all of that and we'll have the viewers learn a few tricks uh, of how you do it. So let's get to it, right? Yep. So, uh, so Sriram, uh, I'd like you to go ahead and introduce yourself, your background, where you come from. Have you been cycling all your life or uh, uh, is that joke true that you fell in a pail of steroids when you were born? <laughs> Tell us all about that. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I think uh, like you started off, right? Uh, you and I go back a long ways. I have a very similar background like you. Uh, born and raised in Bengaluru, uh, one of my favorite cities. Um, what, we moved to the States uh, 2001. So we've been here about 20 years. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think from a cycling standpoint, uh, I started what I, I, you know, I have some photographs that kind of point out the date, but you, one never forgets the first time you get on a bike, right? And so for me, um, I, I think it was about four or five years old. I was living in Indranagar and uh, I still remember the first day I got the bike was my dad bought it from a neighbor. Uh, it was a small Norton, you know, bike, it was a replica of, uh, you know, the standard Indian bikes, you know, the, and so literally, you know, the day I got it, I was in love with it. And uh, I was so excited and made sure that I learned how to ride it that first day. Um, and no, ever since I've never looked back. I mean, I used to go to school, like first grade, uh, went to a school called New Horizon School in, in Indranagar. Uh, they didn't even have a place to put your bike uh, in the school. So I would ride and put it in a, a you know, friend of my dad had a house next to the school. And so I'd park it there, go to school. And all of this was like I was in first grade. So, um, so you can imagine how excited I was to just ride the bike, right? So uh, no, ever since, uh, you know, I've kind of grown um, always being around a bicycle. I think, um, um, of course, my memories faded a little bit, but thanks to Facebook and WhatsApp and you know, being connected to all my school friends, uh, high school and middle school friends and college friends back in Bangalore. They tell me all the stories about how I would, I would teach them how to ride a bike and 
uh, how I would take them on all these adventures, right? We'd go, I mean, Bangalore was a very different place those days, but we lived in Intranagar, also that whole area. And so we'd ride from there to, you know, the old airport and beyond. There was a place called Belandur Lake that we'd go to all the time. Or go to Whitefield or go to Banargata and all of these, you know, uh, far, far off places. I mean, uh, we didn't think much of just getting on and, you know, riding on the street with all the traffic and the lack of rules and everything. And I think those memories still kind of, you know, hold out. So, yeah, no, I mean, I've always, uh, I guess, liked to ride. I, I mean, just to be outside and uh, enjoy the enjoy the slow motion view, if you will, of being on a bicycle and, and, and enjoying the outdoor. Right. Yeah, and the other thing, Tom, and we have between us is uh, pretty long last names, right? I have 14 letters in my last name. I counted yours, you have 11. Yeah. So uh, how do you deal with uh, TSA? What's the favorite question? Well, you know, uh, I make a joke of it for the most part because, uh, you know, uh, sometimes even, you know, me saying my own name, it doesn't roll very easily, right? And so, <laughs> uh, so I always kind of make a joke of it, make light of it. I know that it's hard for people to pronounce it. Um, uh, you know, I had a boss that once called me V-Man, uh, just so he could avoid saying my last name. Um, I also uh, have a lot of people just call me five A's because I have five A's in my last name. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's really a lighthearted talk. I mean, I'm not that, yeah. you know, uh, anal about, you know, how my name is pronounced or uh, it's a name. So, you know, uh, I'm cool with it. Yeah, my favorite, uh, initially when I was asked to pronounce my name, in the airport security check, I would initially feel uncomfortable. And then I figured I would just embrace it. And now when somebody asks me, I say, hey, I have a world record, you know, and uh, everybody just, you know, breaks out in laughter and it's all done. So, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's a great story. I know, uh, I think all of us, our first bikes has always been a favorite bike. Uh, and many of us, have ridden bicycles when we were kids, but you are different. And why you are different is you have taken on a journey into ultra bicycling. You, you do do really long rides and you live in the mountain country of this country. Uh, and uh, you've uh, ridden uh, a, a few of those uh, 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 triple bypass rides, which first time I heard, I found it very funny. I was like, is that like, a, uh, you know, way to wake up people to get healthy, right? Yeah. Uh, you've done multi-day uh, uh, long rides. And so you're used to sitting on the saddle for a very long time. So let's, so uh, first of all, what got you into... Sorry, there's an alarm going off, some Amber Alert, sorry about that. Yeah. What got you into such uh, long distance riding? And it's a different ball game. It's not the same as commuter bike riding, right? So talk a little bit about what got you into that. You know, that, that's an interesting question. You know, I haven't really thought about it that much, but I'll tell you a story, right? So when we first moved to the States, this was back in 2001, we went and lived in, as you know, we lived in California for, for a few years. We lived in Cupertino. And so uh, it was a very interesting time for me because uh, I was kind of, you know, drinking from a fire hose, right? Just about everything was new. Learning to drive in the States was new making friends, learning how to work here, just about, you know, making friends and neighbors, you know, every, every piece of life was, 
was uh, interesting. You know, in, in terms of just, man, it's so different. And you know, you're always nervous. You're like, you know, you want to do the best you can and so on and so forth. So I think uh, in the time before that, living in, you know, working in India, uh, I'll tell you that I, I think my lifestyle was pretty unhealthy. You know, um, we'd work long hours and then we'd hit the bars and then we'd party over the weekends. And so I uh, went through about six or seven years of basically no activity, no exercise. Right? And then we moved to the state and, you know, life is very different all of a sudden. You know, you're, you're, it's not often that you go to the bars after work. Uh, you do work and then you kind of, you know, you, if you have kids that are really small. So uh, you spend some time sort of, you know, entertaining them. So, you know, much more cookie cut kind of a lifestyle, you know, where we, we had time sort of set aside for everything. And on the weekends, I was starting to get bored. I said, okay, I got to go find something to do. So I started playing tennis and started getting back into things that I like to do. And then, you know, I would see all these people on a bicycle. I'm like, man, that sounds like so much fun, especially because, you know, in America, I think the roads, the, the you know, the, the way they make, room for a cyclist uh you know it's, it's so friendly it's so bicycle friendly and so you can just get on a bike feel safe and explore right and so that appealed to me and so and then i bought a bike i bought like a hybrid bike that uh, was my first bike and you know it kicked my butt right so the first day i got on it and i rode i couldn't ride my bike over you know you know these bridges over like the highway Mm -hmm. Just a little climb up and uh, maybe 200 yards of uh, an incline like that. And, you know, I had to stop and get off and push the bike over, right? For me, I felt so humiliated uh, having to do that. And so, and I'm a competitive guy and uh, I said, shit, this sucks. I got to do something about that. And so I started riding. And, you know, the cool thing about riding uh, for me, which I always tell people is that you ramp up really fast. So, you know, you might be able to ride one mile barely one day, and then three days later, you're like riding five, six, eight, ten 10 miles. And pretty soon you're riding 25 miles. And 25 miles is a good amount of distance, right? And so that's kind of how I began. And, and within the first six months, I outgrew that hybrid bike. And I went and got myself a proper road bike, which, uh, which I got sized to me and that then turned off, turned on a whole slew of new opportunities. And Cupertino, where we lived in California, was pretty close to the sort of mountains there. So uh, a lot of avenues to climb, get away into sort of uh, quieter roads and just, you know, it was very meditative, just being out there. Uh, and so literally, you know, I kind of went from not being able to ride 200 yards or, uh, or a little bunny hill to, uh, 25 to 50 miles within a matter of three to four months, right? And, and have not looked back since then. And so, uh, you know, of course, one thing leads to another. And uh, I used to sign up for a lot, a lot of these uh, metric centuries and uh, regular centuries. And so I remember doing my first metric century was in Napa Valley. So that again, it felt like a great achievement. And so you just grow from there, right? And uh, it's been a fun journey. Yeah, so for uh, some people who are listening to this who are probably starting off on their, you know, endurance sports journey, uh, there are a few terminologies that we can talk about. One is you talked about fitting, uh, sizing your bike. Mm -hmm. You talked about uh, metric century. 
So uh, metric century is a hundred sixty miles, hundred kilometers ride, and there are a lot of these rides that happen throughout the country, and people who want to train for it can go out and train for it. But let's talk about sizing the bike because that's one question most people have when they uh, are thinking about biking. Uh, one is biking is an expensive hobby. Sure. Uh, yes, it looks good. Right, so let's let's talk about that. So when you look at all these super cool uh, bike uh, bicyclists going zoom zoom past your car, uh, sometimes when you go in the mountains and you're looking at it and saying, "Wow, I wish I would like to do that." The next thing that you do, go to a bike store and you find out, well, there is a cost involved in these bikes, and there is also a, a, a science behind getting the right bicycle. And I know you are a, a passionate not just a bicyclist, but you also take care of your bicycle. So for someone who wants to start on this, right, what is your recommendation? Where should they start? How would they, uh, what, what is your recommendation? First of all, you know, bicycling doesn't have to be an expensive hobby. Okay. Uh, that's, uh, of course, any, any hobby you can take, especially in America, you can take it to the nth degree and kind of spend, you know, obscene amounts of money on it, right? So, uh, uh, so cycling is like that. Uh, you know, people start fretting about you know milligrams, and you know, at some point it's a uh, it's a point of diminishing return, right? And and so I've had bikes uh, across the spectrum, and of course I would only advise people to spend a lot of money on it once you once you really into. Otherwise, you're going to you're going to be parking a lot of money and not having much use for it. So, having said that. I think you can start off relatively low. I mean, you know, again, row is a, you know, what I'm saying is a relative term, but so for about $1,500, you can get a really good quality bicycle today. Uh, it could be, you know, fitted with carbon frame, carbon forks and light bike, you know, so, and the components are not shabby at all. So that, that's a low point of entry, according to me. I mean, if you're kind of wanting to do something, 1500 bucks is not a tremendous amount of money. Um, but, Sizing, you brought up sizing, right? So one of the most important things, one of the most, uh, one of the things that people tend to not pay too much attention to is, you know, a lot of people just go off and buy a bike, right? But if you're spending anything more than an hour or two or three on a bicycle and you want to avoid injury, you want to kind of, you know, enjoy it, I think um, uh, a key principle there is to make sure that it's proper. You wouldn't buy a, a shoe that doesn't fit you, right? Similarly, you shouldn't buy a bicycle that doesn't fit you. So, so the good thing with the bikes is, you know, once you've got a ballpark size, it's uh, relatively easy to make finer adjustments. You know, you can move the seat forward, backward. You can move the handlebar forward, backward, move the seat up and down. But at a core level, it, the bike should be about your size. You know, that's right for your size then the fine tuning can happen and you know um, uh, as your body stretches with riding you can continue to adjust that so that it's all you're, you're always fit well on the bike because i've, I've had uh, situations where you know having when you do long rides you could have uh, knee pain you could you know so the little things that tend to become a big bother that will ultimately stop you from getting on the bike so uh, it's to me it's super important and, and you know fitting a bike is a relatively simple process if you go to a bike shop usually they do it for I mean they'll do a basic fitting for you as long as you buy the bike from them they don't charge you um, but then if you want a professional fit 
it's about $150, but that's money really well spent. So uh, I always advise people that get into road biking, especially um, because the road bike has multiple positions where you can, you know, hold the handlebar on the hood on the, you know, uh, and, and so you want to make sure that those are all sized well so that every position is comfortable and you don't end up with, you know, uh, lower back pain or, you know, tendonitis of your elbows or, or uh, you know, your patella, your knees. So those are the major sort of, you know, areas where you tend to have injuries uh, doing sort of like a rep repetitive injury, that, you know, when you're doing something a lot. So if you're sized well, then you won't have that. Right, right. And I think, you know, and especially uh, long distance bike riding, you tend to be on the saddle for two hours, three hours, and uh, uh, you're on the road. Uh, you're also looking to pick up some speed. So a lot of folks, you know, there's always this fundamental question on, should I buy a hybrid bike? Should I go to a Walmart and buy, what's the difference between buying a bike and let's say a local, uh, you know, sports store versus going to a, a branded uh, bike store, which has uh, brands like, you know, Cannondale, Rallies, and, uh, you know, I think you have something called Osprey, if I remember. I have an Orbea. It's a Orbea. Spanish bike. Right. Uh, so there is a whole myriad of opportunity or chances, you know, choices. A shop and oh my gosh so many choices right. it can be very intimidating but uh, i'd say start small always right. the best thing to do is initially start asking yourself some questions right you know what kind of terrain do i think i'm going to ride you know what kind of distances and usually when you start your answers to those questions are going to be somewhat conservative right you're, you know, nobody's going to start off and say okay I'm, i want to ride 100 miles yeah the a i want to ride around the neighborhood i want to go to the local park and and once you feel the air and you're out there and out in the open you start to enjoy it and and then it becomes a passion so yeah. i would almost say you know to a lot of people start maybe even with a used bike or borrow a friend's bike you know just do that for a couple of weeks see how you like it yeah. and and you know i my philosophy of buying in general might be different from somebody else uh i i, I like to spend how do I put this uh, without sounding um, weird, right? I, I, I'd rather put good money on something, you know, than do it multiple times. So, yeah. so I tend to do some research and, you know, make sure that, okay, here's how much money I want to spend and I might stretch that a little bit, but I'll try to get the best I can uh, at that point. And, right. then, and of course, you know, a few years down the road, you want to get better than that, but that's normal. Right. And I think you, you touched upon a couple of points. You talked about, uh, you used the interesting word carbon, right? And for a lot of folks who are listening to this, um, so bikes come and made, by, made with different materials. Right. Traditionally, olden days, bikes used to be made of aluminum or steel. Yeah. And um, so I have a bicycle. My, you know, my bicycle is not a, a very expensive bicycle. I have a Felt F85. I've had it for like over 10 years now. Of course, I don't ride as much as you do. But I've had a you know a few MS150 rides and a few uh, Century rides, and it's lasted me quite a bit. And uh, uh, it has a uh, aluminium uh, frame, but it has uh, parts of it are carbon. It's not a full carbon bicycle. Cost me about uh, 1,200 bucks. And then there are bikes that if you went all carbon, you know it can go to 3,000, 5,000 dollars. So I think just to kind of uh, summarize what you were saying, you can start. If you're going to do a moderate amount of road bicycling, you can start with about $1,000, $1,200. And you can go all the way to $10,000. There's no limit because 
you know, technology is moving so fast and you get used to uh, pedaling faster and always wear a helmet. Oh, you bet. Yeah, you, know, you have to be safe. Again, you know, on that point of helmet and safety, uh, bicyclists have a bad rap, right? You know, they, they tend to break the rules. They don't stop at stop signs. They, you know, they run through a red light. You know, they, they think that uh, laws of uh, motorists don't apply to them. And, you know, this is, this is, to me, it's a pet peeve because it's like, you know, a couple of bad apples kind of give uh, the whole, you know, a fruit basket a, a bad rap, right? And so I, I always like to follow the rules and make sure that I tell somebody that's not following the rules to follow the rules. Uh, helmet, same thing. You know, uh, it's a, you know, the speeds that you can go at on a bike are crazy. I mean, I, I've been on my bike at 55 miles an hour on several occasions. Fifty miles an hour on a bicycle feels so scary because, you know, a, a little rock can send you flying. It can be really dangerous, right? And so, especially going down. So, helmet, follow the rules, and uh, tell everybody that you see that's not following the rules to follow. Them. So, yeah. You know, I remember uh, I was once in uh, Denver, and you took me on a ride, uh, literally, and we went on this uh, ride up the mountain. And obviously, I'm from the flatlands of this country. And you, are, you live in the mountains and you said, hey, let's go for a ride. And this was the evening and you got me a bicycle of someone, which was obviously not my size. It was a steel bicycle. But we said, let's do it for fun. And we went. And uh, well, first off, you were on, you were on, as I said, you know, again, I'm joking about this guys. Uh, obviously, uh, Sriram is a clean guy. He does not consume steroids. But you were on, literally metaphorically on steroids and you just went past Zoom on the mountain. And I'm like, how did he generate that level of power? And I am struggling to climb those hills. Okay, so that's part one of the story. So we somehow get up to wherever we got up and when we turned back and we were hitting 35, 40 miles per hour and this damn bike did not have brakes. Yeah, I, and I remember feeling like I'm going to crash into something any moment. And it was such a interesting experience. I, I completely agree with you. I think. That's another reason you need a good bicycle if you're... And you have to keep, keep things sharp, right? For sure. And by the way, I think you did really well for, for somebody that came from Flatland, you know, never rode a bike. And, and we took you up some pretty, pretty gnarly, you know, climbs. I remember Jiva, you and I went. So, uh, no, you did. I, mean, I think you're, you're, you're somebody that's in good shape. So, but yeah, no, climbing has always been a passion for me. Um, you know, for me, I like the quiet mountains. It's very meditative, and uh, so uh, you know, uh, it, it's again, it's a competitive nature in me that wants to keep doing better every every time I get out there. So um, no, so it's all good, you know. Uh, from us today, from a cycle, just to come back to your point about cycles and what kind of bikes, um, carbons become a lot less uh, of, um, you know. A, a, you know, they, they used to be very expensive to make before, but just because everybody's gotten into it, uh, I guess uh, uh, the volumes made it a lot less expensive. So there are a lot of options there. You can buy a carbon bike for under $2,000. I think the components, you know, the components meaning, you know, your gears and shifters and derailers and, and brakes and all of that, those things are, you know, you can be very, you know, people get uh, pretty um, obsessive over those. Uh, those can add a pretty penny to the cost. But again, you know, at a very fundamental level, a bicycle is a simple machine. 
Uh, it's been, you know, the, the, the fundamentals of a bike haven't changed in like 30 or 40 years. Right. And then, you know, I think a simple bike, maintain it well, uh, will, you know, will keep you going for, you know, for, for a lot of good time. Yeah. So, right. Thank you. Well. And, and I think, you know, the point you make about parts of the bike, that's a good, good uh, response to the question, why should I bike a, buy a, a good bike versus why don't I just go to a supermarket and buy a bike for $200, right? I think it comes back down to that point you made, which is the gears and the shifters. When you're out there uh, riding 40, 30, 40, 50, 60 miles, uh, two, three hours out there, you know, if your gears break, uh, it's, it's, it's a pain. So you need those parts to work well. And that investment you make is just so that you can have a pleasurable experience in out there on the road when you do those long rides. Now, if you're just riding five, 10 miles to the park, you don't need those kind of bicycles. So we are here talking about endurance bicycling. You're talking about bicycling kind of the, like the way you do it, right? Which is you're riding 60 miles, 80 miles, multi-day rides, right? That's, that's just so that we set context for people who are listening to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, reminds me of uh, fun times back when we grew up in India, right? Um, I, you know, I used to have a bicycle where the, you know, the crank would be slightly bent because, you know, it fell, I fell down on me, so a little warped. And so you would, you would ride it, but literally every hundred yards, the chain would slip off and, you know, I'd have to stop. And so how annoying is something like that? And that's why, you know, the components and the, uh, the pre precision of those components uh, are going to, you know, are going to be pretty important to make sure that you don't ruin your day. Yeah. You know, that leads to me to the next point. You talked about climbing mountains and climbing mountains means creating a strength, you know, it needs strength on your legs or whatever. I don't know how, what do you guys do to generate that level of power in those mountains because everybody is not able to do it. So what do you do? What kind of, do you do core exercises? Do you do strength, uh, strengthening? What, what kind of exercises do you recommend to, for somebody who wants to get faster and stronger on bicycles? Well, for me, I mostly ride. Okay, that's for me, you know, I just, that's, that's my main form of sort of training. Uh, although, you know, um, I, I will say that at the beginning of the season, so I go through maybe one or two months where, maybe even three months where I don't ride a lot. It's usually between, say, October, November through, you know, maybe early part of January. January, usually New Year resolutions kick in and, you know, I, I, I usually sign up for something. So I start pretty early in January to at least start training. But anyway, in January, I'm sort of coming off of like, you know, three months of uh, relatively low cycling activity, right? And so I try and keep myself at least somewhat strong. I'll do some weight training. Uh, but, you know, things like squats, I think you just want to keep your hamstrings and quads in shape because uh, that's, that's, that's what you use a lot while riding. Um, you know, uh, other than that, you know, Cross training can help. I mean, you know, I find that when I, you know, in the off months, I'll run a little bit, you know, not any distance like you do, but, you know, short distances, two miles, three miles, you know, I'll, you know for me, that just keeps up the uh, sort of aerobic fitness that I want. Um, but uh, really the, uh, the way I ramp up is I, I'll get on an indoor trainer, I'll go to a spin class, usually starting in January. So usually at the end of December, January 1st, uh, I have two really good friends of mine here that uh, are both cyclists. 
um, and I'm very lucky to have them as buddies. And so we typically sign up, uh, you know, for some large, big, long ride in the summer, right? like the triple bypass. And so once you put a stake in the ground, you was like, okay, um, you want to train for that, right? And and so we'll start doing spin classes, we'll start doing indoor training. And, you know, Colorado is blessed with some decent weather, even in Jan and Feb. So occasionally we'll get to get out and, you know, enjoy the outdoors, even in, in Jan. If it's like 50, de 50 degrees outside, it's, uh, it's uh, pretty easy to ride and you'll have a good time. So for me, mostly I start to ramp up, you know, Jan, Feb, I'll do maybe uh, around 200 to 300 miles a month, right? And then come March, I'll try to ramp to 300 to 400 miles a month. And then by, you know, hopefully in July, August, I'll get about 500 miles a month uh, in the summer months because that would combine the long ride, might do a triple bypass or might do a century. So that easily adds to the mileage. Um, and then usually August, you start to ramp down, like you've done all the rides and, and so motivation is a little low. So, you know, but then you're also changing seasons, you start to think about skiing and so, yeah, it's just, just the cycle of, uh, the seasons, if you will, in, in Colorado. Yeah, we need to have a separate session on your skiing. That's a whole topic by itself. Yeah. It's a whole topic by itself. Uh, so, uh, so that's a great tip, actually. Uh, so you said you do, we do, you do spinning, which is a great way to for folks who want to uh, get fit uh, to ride bike bicycles. And here in Houston, and you know, in the southern states here, we have uh, the MS one fifty that usually happens around April, May. And um, so there is a ride that goes from Houston to Austin. It's about a 150 mile ride. A lot of folks train for that. So for, and that's through the country, throughout the country there are these kind of rides. So folks, so what, I think it's a great tip that people who want to start training for a summer ride can start doing spinning sometime in early winter or late winter, and then start building up miles on the road as the uh, weather gets a little warmer, right? That, that's a, Oh, spin class, you know, a spin class I discovered is uh, is pretty intense. You know, uh, one hour at a spinning studio. Uh, again, it's like you know, as competitive as you want to make it. But if you're out there and you see the trainer, you see 50 other people in the class, you know, uh, and you have this big screen kind of showing, you know, all of the it's a measurement, right? Measurement of any metric whether it's uh, miles per hour, average miles per hour, uh, your cadence, your heart rate, uh, or these days the most popular thing is, uh, is wattage. So everybody likes to measure power uh, in, 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 term, in, in terms of watts, right, that you're generating. And that's probably the truest measure for your overall fitness and overall skill level on a bicycle. And so, um, you know, seeing that on the screen with 50 other people and, you got a trainer that's you know yelling into a microphone saying faster faster can be quite an experience i i really enjoy that especially in the winter you know it's cold you go into a spin class you come out you're, you feel so good so uh, i highly recommend spin classes for anybody that's you know training it's it's, it's a fun experience right uh, so let's talk about uh, nutrition what what do you do do you do in, uh, for these kind of obviously while bicycling may not be as intense on your body as let's say running, yeah. it still is a very intense uh, and you know uh, endeavor when you're taking on these kind of volumes of riding, right? Miles. 
So uh, what do you do different from a nutrition perspective? Okay, nutrition, this is a favorite uh, topic, if you will, amongst our friends, uh, or some of the guys that I ride my bike with, right? because I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all, okay? Um, you know, as much as, you know, you get recommendations and tips from your friends, it's not necessarily going to work for you, right? Everybody's body is a little different. Everybody expends energy a little different. Their needs are a little different. So for me, I found that, you know, nutrition is a little bit of a trial and error. Uh, because, you know, uh, you might get a recommendation and then you have it and, and you get out and start riding and you, you end up with an upset stomach, right? And that's going to ruin your day again. So I, I try to keep it light. When I go on like a hundred mile ride, which is, you know, the triple bypass is a nine, nine hour ride for me, right? So I'm on my bike. Uh, I start at 5.30 and, you know, I go through to whatever, three o'clock or, uh, and so, you basically, you, you, you start with some breakfast, you know, to get you going. And then you have eight stations along the way that, you know, provide all kinds of nutrition. So uh, from sandwiches to, uh, you know, something even heavier to, you know, peanut PBJs or, or fruits or whatever, right? So there's some food that I tend to carry for myself. Like, you know, uh, I carry this, I don't know if you can see this. This is uh, an RX bar. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so it's, it's, it's basically protein, you know, so you can see this, it's, uh, it's got egg whites and nuts, some dates, and uh, the bottom line is it says no bullshit, right? So uh, uh, anyway, it, that, that over time, I found that that works really well for me. I could have one of those and keep me going for another uh, two, two to three hours. Um, of course, it's some, I, I, I'll do fruits, I'll do oranges, I'll do uh, light cookies or I'll do PBJs and then I carry these with me this is uh, this is a company out of England I think or somewhere in Europe it's called uh, SIS um, science in sport and these guys make uh, electrolyte tablets okay so I'll carry about four or five with me on long rides and I just throw a tablet into my water bottle and what it does is it supplements sodium right uh, because sodium you lose a lot of sodium on long days out in the saddle. So helps me from stop from cramping and you know uh, that kind of thing. So uh, so that's that's my go-to nutrition when I ride. Um, the day before, I I try and you know drink quite a lot of water just to you know make sure that I'm well hydrated. Uh, in fact, for long rides, I'll I'll start working my way. Uh, if I'm riding, if I'm doing a long ride on Saturday, like a 120 mile ride. Then, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, start ramping up my water intake. Um, you know, coconut water is another favorite of mine because of uh, potassium. It delivers a very high amount of potassium, which, uh, again, uh, keeps things going quite well. And it's natural. So uh, those are my recommendations. Again, that's what works for me. I'm not saying it works for everybody. I know that uh, for my friends, uh, I have, so Jiva, you met Jiva. Jiva... Jiva, his salt needs are much, much higher. So he, he carries a lot more salt tablets with him than, than I do. Right? So again, everybody's a little different. For me, if I have those, then I get an upset stomach. So it, you just have to figure out what works for you. Right. But to your point, I think uh, nutrition is very key to your success on the day off. Um, and, you know, it can be... It can be a record-breaking day for you, or it could be really bad. Mm -hmm. 
don't plan that. But yeah. Right, right. There's a lot of good stuff out there. You know, there's the, the good thing is like everything else, cycling has a lot of good forums, you know, where you can go read up and, you know, learn about other people's experiences. Uh, if you go to the, if you go to REI, which is where I do a lot of my shopping, a lot of people there advise you. So, you know, again, you, you learn, but then you, you don't experiment on the day off. You do what you do. Right. Now that's a great tip that whatever you do during your training is yes. what you stick to during the day of the ride. And yep. I think what, what you just said is during the training season, you pretty much use the same uh, products. Uh, what about off-ride nutrition? Uh, do you do anything special during in between training sessions? Yeah, yeah, I do. One thing that I, I've gotten, if I do a long ride, you know, like anything for me, anything above 50 miles is a long day, right? Mm -hmm. um, that means I've burned a lot of, you know, calories. I've kind of expended some good effort. And to recover, I usually, within the first hour after I come back, I drink a pretty tall glass of chocolate milk. Mm. And for me, I find that that does wonders for just the muscle recovery. I feel good uh, pretty, pretty quick the next day or the day after. Otherwise, I don't do anything special. You know, um, I try not to drink beer the day of the ride, uh, even though I've finished the ride. Uh, I mean, it's very tempting, you know, uh, but it's also, I end up with a bad headache uh, because of, again, it's like the opposite spectrum, right? You, you burned a lot of energy, even though the beer looks very inviting, it ruins my evening. So I try not to do that. Uh, I wait a day or so before kind of getting back to alcohol. Um, but food wise, I've never been a disciplined uh, food person. Um, you know, I like, I, like all the, uh, I like all the bad stuff. So I like fries and burgers and, you know, but luckily for me, you know, I've uh, managed to keep off the weight somehow. So, uh, but again, I'm not, I don't overdo it, but, you know, I, I also don't plan too much about, you know, what I'm eating. Uh, usually for the two, three days before the ride, I'll watch it. I won't go crazy. Uh, we got into a habit of, you know, uh, there used to be this term called carb loading uh, years ago, but I, I don't even do that anymore. I just eat normal and I, f I find that doing that is the best. Uh, normal dinner, normal breakfast uh, works for me. Cool. All right. So you do this, you do the training, you, uh, you take care of yourself. Now talk, talk, tell us about what is triple, the triple bypass. Why is it called triple bypass? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, talk to us about that. Colorado is a you know, great place uh, with a lot of mountains, right? And so... Um, we have we have some you know milestone you know uh, I don't know if it's milestone but we have some uh, roads that kind of climb to great heights you know I think the tallest contiguous road in North America is in Colorado the tallest uh, I mean the highest paved road in North America is in Colorado right so this there's a road at fourteen thousand feet in elevation so in you know and so you know, you're bound to, when you have a road like that, you're bound to want to try and climb it, okay? And so the triple bypass itself is basically going over three mountain passes, okay? So the first, the first, first mountain pass is called, um, I think it's called Squaw Pass, and the uh, second one's called uh, Lublin Pass, 
The third one is Whale Pass. And if you, if you talk to anybody in Colorado, these are household names. I mean, they'll know these um, pretty easily. First, the Squaw Pass is at about 10,500 feet or maybe even 11,000 feet. So you start off at about, say, 6,000 feet in elevation. You ride up and over the 11,000 feet, then you kind of ride back down to about seven. And then there's a long slog up over Loveland Pass, which is about 12,000 feet. And then you kind of come back down to uh, about 8,000. And then the third pass is again at 10,500. So, so end to end, the ride is about 10,000 plus feet of climbing. Um, and the, you know, that in, in and of itself isn't bad, but uh, because some of the elevations are above 10,000 feet, where there's considerably less uh, oxygen, you can feel, you know, the, you know, the effects of high altitude, you, you really feel, you know, you feel lightheaded a little bit. And so putting out that type of effort to go over these passes is hard. Uh, but it's a very popular ride. It's been around for like more than 30 years now. And, uh, uh, you know, people come from all over the country to do it. In fact, some people come from outside of the country, like Europe and places. Uh, they sign up and ride it. So re recently, about seven or eight years ago, uh, so basically the ride starts uh, just on the outskirts of Denver at a place called Evergreen. And it goes all the way to this place called Avon, which is in the mountains, you know, like uh, near Vale. Um, about seven, eight years ago, I think, or maybe even longer, they, they started this whole idea of doing a double triple. So the triple is go three passes this way. The double triple is the next day on Sunday, you turn around and ride back. Wow. Yeah, so it's about, the total distance is 120 miles each way, uh, 10,000 feet of climbing. And so if you do the double triple, you've done 250 miles and you've climbed, um, about 20,000 feet. So it's, it's, I've done it once. Uh, in fact, we signed up to do it this year, but because of coronavirus, um, they canceled the ride, but we were all training to do the double triple this year. And, you know, it's a nasty, tough ride, but feels good after you've done. <laughs> okay. And, and uh, so what is the kind of volume you do for this kind of training? So 240 miles, uh, how much do you peak at? your long distance rides? Yeah, so you know that the, the, that's a very good question because I'll tell you my challenge uh, with cycling is uh, you know uh, during the week I, I cannot get literally any miles. You know, so I'll get some miles on an indoor bicycle if I'm very disciplined I'll, I'll maybe get uh, you know 15 to 20 miles each time I get on an indoor bicycle right uh, and with simulated climbs so it's not the real thing but you can get you can see, but it's still just one hour, you know, each time. So three hours during the week. In order for me to really train well, I have to do this over the weekends, right? And even the weekends, it's hard to get both days, you know. So I'll get, so Saturday is the day I reserve for, you know, just being out there riding, okay? Because, you know, in order to train well, you need, I'll say five to six hours every Saturday. So you get enough distance, you get to go out and climb and, you know, so that limited of a time frame available to you, basically talking four days in a month, uh, you're not going to get a lot of mileage. Okay, so you, whatever mileage you get, you got to make it count. And so that's why climbing is very, very important. So more than the actual miles, I'll say, I try and get approximately 20,000 feet of climbing every month at a minimum so that uh, 
when July arrives, you know, I can, I can feel comfortable about doing 10,000 feet of climbing in one day. Right? So, so that's, that's probably my biggest challenge, you know, uh, for me, um, I just cannot get enough miles uh, in. So, so with all of that said, you know, to come back to your question, I usually try to get to about 1500 miles before the 15th of July. So starting January 1st uh, through uh, 15th of July, six and a half months, um, I'll try to get 1500 miles, which on the face of it doesn't sound like a lot, uh, but you know, even that 1500 miles is really hard to do, especially Jan, Feb, March. I'm doing 250 miles a, a month uh, on, a, on an optimistic note. I've gotten about 750, you know, uh, in those three months. And then April, May, June, I'm doing 300 miles, 350 miles. You know, I've got another 900 miles. So, you know, I have to stick to that type of schedule to get it. But, you know, if I have 1,500 miles, I'd feel comfortable about doing the triple uh, one way. I think that level of base miles is good enough. But again, the, the key there again is uh, climbing. You know, you want to get... 10 to 20,000 feet of climbing every month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I wonder what people who don't live along uh, close to mountains do for that simulation. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, I had a, a very good question. I have a friend, uh, he and I did this ride called the Death Ride in California. It's a nasty five mountain pass ride. Um, you don't have all the scary names for all these rides, huh? Yeah, yeah. Now it's again one of those lore, you know, folklore type of rides, and you know, so he lived. Uh, he lives in Dallas, and uh, he would spend a lot of time on a plane uh, because of work, and so he also had very limited time. But then what he did was he combined the little cycling training that he had. He combined that with sort of you know weight training and sort of CrossFit training at a gym. Uh, where he'd do steps and this, you know, that type of stuff, pretty intense. And you know what, his training, it ended up being that even though he didn't ride as much, he rode the, the death ride uh, much better than I did. So uh, it's all, everybody's got a different strategy, but uh, uh, you know, uh, he, did, he did really well actually. So uh, there's no, uh, I mean, the, the thing that you cannot replace is acclimatization to high altitude. So, you know, luckily the death ride wasn't very high in altitude. It was, you know, Lake Tahoe, which is sort of um, relatively low. And then you kind of went to, I think the highest we went up to was about 7,000 feet. So altitude wise, it wasn't much, but you know, that was 13,000 feet of climbing in one day and uh, very hard ride. And uh, you also did a multi-day 500 mile ride. That's a different yeah. We, there's a, a right here in Colorado called Ride the Rockies. It's a beautiful, you know, for me, I, it, it's one of the best experiences I ever had. You know, basically got on a bike uh, every day. We would ride uh, 70 to 100 miles and, and then we'd camp. Uh, so, you know, the, the company that organizes this ride would bring all our gear, uh, drop it off at the destination. We'd set up tents or you could even stay at a hotel. So I kind of did both. I stayed at a hotel a couple of days. I camped a couple of days. Um, but for six days, I was on my own. Uh, you know, had a lot of time to reflect. A lot of time to see a beautiful state of Colorado. 
um, made a lot of friends. There were like 3,000 strangers that you ride with, and you see them every day at uh, campsite and dinner time. And so it was, it was really uh, eye-opening, fun experience. And you know what? Uh, you won't believe me if I tell you this, but most people that rode the Rockies are people that are either retired or close to being retired. So there were very few people in the, you know, I'll say, there were very few young people, first of all. And then there were very few um, people in the 40 to 55 bracket. Uh, there were a lot of people that were older people that were out there. And you saw all kinds of people that truly inspired you. You know, you see people with, uh, uh, you know, no legs using their arms to pedal, right? You see people with one arm and, you know, people that have come back uh, from, from wars that are, that are injured, right? So very, very inspiring. So, yeah, you know, fun, fun thing to do. I've done a couple of those. I did Ride the Rocket. And one year, uh, again, friends of ours here and I did a ride in Moab uh, called uh, the Canyonland White Rim Tour, which was also a fun experience. You know, yeah, that to me, you know, for me, that's the thing that I always say uh, I love about cycling is uh, you get to explore, you get to get outside, you sort of see uh, the world in slow motion at your own pace, and and it's just you and your bicycle, so it's 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 hard to describe that uh, that joy. Yeah, I know that that's great. That's well said, and I think uh, that should probably give people enough reason to not postpone their plans to start riding a bike, right? I mean, a lot of people have a bucket list. You've yeah. done so many rides, but for someone, it could just be, hey, I wish I could just do one 100 century ride. And uh, there are all circumstances, reasons uh, yeah. that uh, prevent them from starting off. And I think that's a great way you put it, you know, just get started. And I think there's a world out there that's waiting to be explored. Yeah. on the bicycle. There's a joy in riding the bicycle. So, uh, you know, so that, that's, uh, that's, that's absolutely uh, terrific. So um, one other thing I wanted to check with you was about uh, biking also uh, requires a certain kind of special uh, clothing, right? Apparels, uh, especially yeah. these kind of long rides. So uh, not unlike anything else, Santosh, I think technology and clothing in general, I'll say technology is a big aid, you know, to uh, to support your hobby, your passion, right? And, you know, there are some that may poo-poo technology and say, oh, you know, I can write my t-shirt, blah, blah, blah. But I think that once you've experienced the benefits of um, Lycra, right, which is really the material that uh, goes into most, um, you know, uh, jerseys and, and bib shorts and that sort of that stuff. You'll then realize, you know, okay, this thing is, you know, made, made my uh, nine hours on the saddle possible, you know, because A, you know, it wicks away all the sweat and the moisture. Uh, and more, it adds to the comfort because sitting on a saddle for nine hours, uh, you know, you know, you, <laughs> You can imagine, you know, how sore you're going to feel. And me, yeah. you know, uh, these they, 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 the the bibs and the, you know, the technology that goes into these clothes make that so much more uh, bearable. So, absolutely. I, I, of course, you know, those things again can be 
ludicrously priced, right? So it's not like, you know, going out and buying a $20 t-shirt. So you kind of want to watch, wait for the sales. But again, you know, you don't have to break the bank, you know, and the good news is you don't need hundreds of those. You just need a few that you can recycle. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because uh, I remember when I started uh, bicycling, um, I didn't have any of those special uh, apparels. And it, as one started cycling, uh, you started appreciating the value of, uh, of course, for non-cyclists, you know, we all look like uh, Superman on a saddle, right? Uh, most non-cyclists are looking at, look at those spandex, spandex uh, guys and gals, right? And, but uh, hey, you know, it makes you look cool. Yeah. Uh, get all of the nice, uh, you know, coolers and put on your helmet. You look like those mean machines riding those streets. Yeah. Look good. Why not, right? No, absolutely. No, they do serve a good purpose for sure. So, yeah. no, uh, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, because I've also bought stuff that I paid a lot of money for that, you know, um, don't either fit you right or don't work as well. So it's not so much about the cost of it. It's about, you know, really how well it's made and how they fit you. Because that can, again, like everything else, make, make your day that much better. Yeah. Great. Uh, no, this was a fantastic conversation. I, I hope, uh, uh, you know, people who listen to this get an insight on what uh, it takes to do something like you've done. Obviously, it's a phenomenal effort and achievement on your end uh, to have done these kind of rides and uh, hopefully it inspires a few people to get, go out there and uh, hit the bike. Um, before we... Uh, kind of bring this uh, conversation to close. Is there anything else you want to add, Sriram? Let's see. You know, I had made some notes. Let me see. Um, no, I think you'd asked about, you know, core principles. For me, really, core principles have fun doing what you're doing and explore, right? You know, that's, that's what drives, uh, you know, uh, and America is a big, beautiful country. And, you know, it's amazing to me um, the opportunity we all have. I mean, in just about every corner of America, uh, to explore, okay. Uh, I think nobody will disagree with uh, the quality of roads, you know, the back roads, uh, the vistas, and the people. There's, there's just so much to, I feel very grateful for uh, living here. I've ridden in a few states, uh, of course, mostly in Colorado, but I got to tell you that um, if, if America doesn't, if the land of America doesn't inspire you to get out there and see it, uh, I don't know what can. So for me, just exploring the U.S. has been a lot of fun. I, my dream is to go and explore Europe. Um, in, in, there are, again, great places in, in Europe, like whether it's Belgium or Spain or France or Italy. Uh, would love to go out there. So, so I got a big bucket list of places that I want to go and ride. Uh, but again, it's all about exploring, seeing places, meeting people and enjoying. Um, let's see, what else did I have? I think we covered nutrition. So for the beginners, again, you know, take baby steps. You know, um, I think uh, I would tell people that don't get intimidated when people talk mileage because you can go from zero to five in two days and five to 25 in 12 days, right? It's just literally that easy. And so I always tell the story of how I couldn't climb the ramp. Uh, the first time I had to get off and push my bike. And that, that's, that's my story for beginners. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, you gotta try it before you decide whether this is for you or not. And most often, 
everybody that rides a bike will tell you the joy of riding a bike. Nothing is, uh, nothing comes close. So, yeah. There's one thing I missed asking you, which I wanted to ask was, and I think this is a question people may have is, uh, trails versus roads. Yeah. And you've done both as well. Uh, anything you want to say in that, on that space? Well, you know, uh, they're both quite different. Yeah, you know, when, you, when we here we talk about mountain biking trails, again, trails can be, you know, uh, uh, innocuous, just off-road, you know, like Jeep roads, which, is, which brings its own fun and joy, which is actually making a big uh, uh, sort of resurgence, if you will, in many parts of the world, where people are buying these, uh, what they call um, rattle bikes. Uh, so just they're shaped like a road bike with road bike handles but they got fatter tires and you know, you can ride them you know, off-road. So basically you don't have to be on a paved road. And there are a lot of these types of Jeep roads in many parts of America that you can ride. Uh, the mountain bike is much more specific. You know, it's, it's like, you know, meant for, um, you know, I'll say, uh, of course, you know, climbing as well as downhill biking. So, you know, they have full suspension. And the kinds of things that people do on a mountain bike uh, is insane. Uh, it's scary. Uh, it brings its own different kind of, it's, it's a whole lot of different challenges and skills. You know, uh, you have to be pretty skilled in navigating roots and rocks and making really tight turns, you know, on switchbacks with a trail that's about just a foot wide uh, with all these obstacles thrown in, uh, loose rock. And you might see somebody coming down on the trail. And so you're typically, I find that um, you know, my heart rate goes, shoots up from say, you know, something like 120 to 170 in like 10 seconds because I'm suddenly climbing, suddenly clambering and trying to stay balanced. So it's, it's a whole mix of things that happens when you're riding a mountain bike. It's a lot of fun because now you're even more further out uh, into, the, into the wilderness area, right? So, um, I would always advise people to go with somebody else when you're mountain biking because, you know, it's good to have uh, some support. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we don't, I, for me, 90% of the time I'm on a road bike. Uh, I don't do mountain biking as much, but we do enjoy it every now and then. I have a pretty good mountain bike uh, that I use, uh, but I'm not into the extreme stuff. Um, got, to, got to continue to uh, think about work and be responsible and all of that. So, yeah. We don't go crazy, but uh, no, it's it's a, it's a lot of fun. In fact, that ride I told you about in Canyonlands was on a mountain bike, you know, where we did uh, four days, uh, the White Rim Trail, uh, where we didn't meet another soul for like four days. And so, you know, some of those are really fun. They're safe. At the same time, they completely get you into a terrain that's uh, very different. Um, but a lot of people, especially who live in the Western mountain states, uh, are big mountain bikers and there's a whole cult behind you know uh, what they do and it's 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 a road bike mountain bike are almost like um, you know skiers and snowboarders in some respects you know so yeah. uh, each bring a lot of passion to it but it's, it's fun it's a lot of fun great uh, i think uh, you know if time permits we would like to have you back for snow uh, for skiing talk about your skiing adventures probably closer to when the skiing season starts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole, whole uh, can of worms. 
Yeah. No, no, it's, it's, it's uh, this, again, it's uh, one, one more thing that you can take to extreme lens. <laughs> yeah. All right, Siram, thanks a lot. It was fantastic having this conversation. Yeah. All right.